Hello there and welcome to episode 101 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast, boosted by Humans First. I honestly didn't think I'd reach this milestone of getting past the 100, but really grateful that I have with the support of Mike and the Humans First movement. And today I'm really, really excited to introduce you to Ian Braid. Ian's a really inspiring character, someone I was, had the pleasure to meet via a good friend, Jeff Way. And he's just such an open book, uh, talks openly about his journey around mental health, how he's moved to a more intuitive space um, of living and being away from being, let's say, like so many of us can be, which is stuck inside our head, um, striving for the KPI, the next result, the next desired outcome. And... Let's be honest, at times, missing the joy of the journey. And I just think Ian just shares so many nuggets, so many powerful nuggets today. Um, and considering that this conversation was actually recorded a number of weeks ago before the COVID crisis really kicked in in the UK, I just really do believe that Ian's messaging is as, if not more powerful um, than when we first recorded several weeks ago. So... I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please do connect with Ian, do connect with myself. You'll find all the details in the show notes. Um, but before you jump in with us today, I really enjoyed Ian uh, reflecting on who's looking after the people, looking after the people, and how relevant is that right now when we think about the incredible NHS, um, those, those key workers, people that are keeping not just the economy but our society going um, at this time of challenge. So, so grateful to all of them. So who's looking after the people, looking after the people? And also, one of the things that Ian said was a lesson I had to learn the hard way was that duty of care belongs to the individual first and foremost. And I remember when I burnt myself out several years ago, it's because I was a victim. You know, I, I overthought my way. I told myself stories that weren't true, told myself I wasn't good enough, etc. And those things layered up over time, which led to me burning out. So whilst I was dealing with things that shouldn't have been happening, um, ethically and morally in certain points they didn't cause me to feel the way I did it was the stories I told myself so that 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 message just so so resonates with me so enjoy the conversation jump in let us know what you think and we'd really like to get any feedback that you're kind enough to offer Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity and we are boosted by humans first and today I am really excited to bring you a very cool human in Ian Bray who is the founder and MD of Dokia Sports Limited and a really cool human as he's done a lot of stuff in the sporting arena. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much Gary. Uh, so if we get going, would you mind just giving our listeners just a bit more of an expanded view? So you know, how did DocuSport come into being and what are you most passionate about right now? Okay, the, uh, this could take half an hour. The, <laughs> I, I, DocuSport came into being because of a journey that I find myself on until uh, I, I'm now in my early 60s. But until my mid-50s, I didn't know what to want, I want to be until I grew up. And I, uh, my passport to that job was an insurance policy. I worked in financial services. And I 
I had the opportunity to become the CEO of an organization called the British Athletes Commission, which is the players association for Olympic and Paralympic athletes in wheelchair basketball. Uh, when I started that job, it, the organization sadly was in special measures, but, but by the time I finished, um, we had raised its profile and its value and the athletes knew they had somebody to support them for advice, support and guidance. After Rio 2016, listeners may remember, particularly in the UK, that there were a lot of investigations into allegations of systemic bullying and poor cultures in performance sport. And that was the BAC helping these athletes. As a consequence of what I did, it unfortunately cost me my own mental health as well. And when I eventually sought uh, psychotherapy, Bev, the lady I saw, she said, it's no wonder you were poorly in. You had, you've had five years of vicarious trauma. Um, when I went back to work briefly for uh, a month, I knew I, I knew I was going to leave, but I, I went back to work. And I started to talk to people about uh, why I'd been absent. And I was talking to leaders in the sports sector, performance directors, CEOs, coaches, etc. And although people of a certain age from the north of England aren't supposed to talk about their mental health, I did. And I told these people that I had suffered from um, general anxiety disorder, depression, stress, and I was burnt out. And they all said things like, I know three people like you. Ian, I'm on six pints a night. It's the only way I can cope with my job. I'm on 350 and I thought blimey and at the time I was still poorly and I was feeling very isolated and very lonely but I thought who's looking after the people looking after the people and although my wife hoped that I was going to sail off into the sunset and undertake the to-do list which is now six years outstanding uh, uh, I had to let her down and I set up DocuSport to continue to do work about duty of care in sport, but not just exclusively for athletes, but for other people as well. That's, that's so, so powerful. And thank you, you know, in, in line with this podcast in such wonderful vulnerability or role modeling. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, it's interesting that you spoke about the fact that sort of stereotype, you know, as a sort of Northern man, you know, talking about your mental health. Isn't it interesting that these stereotypes seem to run so deep still, even in sort of 2020? Um, I, I think it is. And we probably don't really understand how broad and how deep that is. Um, because, you know, there's, there's the northern stereotype. There's, you know, there's the... I do some work with Mental Health First Aid England and there's a, you know, there's a statistic that's about um, that more men attempt to take their own life than, than women. Um, the Rugby League World Cup has a legacy campaign, which I'm 
delighted to have him, which is all about men's mental health. There's there's lots of stuff. There's lots of great practices and there's lots of great initiatives. And and I think it's beginning to make a difference and it's changing the narrative. But we then have to make sure that um that one support is in place. But I think more important than that, and it's a lesson I had to learn the hard way, more important than that is that the duty of care belongs to the individual first and foremost. Do you know something? There's, it's, I'm really glad you brought this up, Ian, because it's, it's a very difficult subject. So I didn't, you know, I sort of burnt myself out, you know, a few years ago, I think, when we had our first chat. I'm not as severely, um, I, I would say, um, but certainly I had my own sort of, um, you know, multiple episodes around that. And I think I remember the stories, Ian, I was telling myself, you know, at that time, you know, you're not good enough, you're in the wrong place, you know, this is happening to you again. So the stuff outside of me, I believed was causing me, like the environment, to make me feel a certain way. But I do believe there is that, there does seem to be a gap between our understanding of actually how much more agency we have, or actually the realisation that actually there's a lot more inside of us that is going on, and it's not always necessarily the outside world that's causing everything does that make sense or would you challenge that i'm just wondering what your no well i don't think i I don't think the outside and the inside are mutually exclusive i think there's a a, it's a combination it's uh you know in in my circumstances the environment i was in was um was challenging i mean there's I, I read a fantastic book by a guy called Johan hari called lost connections and i read it a year too late unfortunately but when i read his book and it said do you feel valued no do you feel lonely yes do you think your where you work is consistent with your values no and i'm thinking bloody hell they um uh and as I say, I read it a year too late. So there's external factors and there's internal factors. But the trouble with, you know, I, I traced my decline from a trigger, from a, one particular trigger, which was a work-related thing, to when I eventually wised up and thought I was poorly. That took 18 months. And the trouble with it is, and you may empathise with this, I guess, is your decline into this sort of slough of despond is so incremental and so slow. You you forget what normal is. So, so when I was making a complete holics of my life, then you know the answer to my solution, as I thought logically, was what you are doing here isn't working. So therefore, you have to do more of what you're doing, but even harder. And you know, that's when you start to seriously spiral downwards, which is what I did. So, so interesting. Thanks for expanding on that. So tell us a little bit more about Dockier Sport and what you're working on at the moment. So is it all around this, like you are that person that is in, it's sort of in, in the corner of these professional sports people or, or semi-professional sports people that actually have that, that duty of care behind them that maybe wasn't there in the past? Or can you expand a bit more on? And what you're doing there today they 
<laughs> if I'm very honest with you, uh, I'm making it up as I go along. They, um, <laughs> they, I, I think if, if I, when I was, I was still poorly. And if I'd have set it up when I was well, I'd have had a five-year plan, uh, umpteen KPIs, and I'd have me blink, I'd have blinkers on, and you know, I'd be thinking about in three years' time now, I'll be sat on a beach, right? But it's been it's been a really interesting journey in that because I haven't got the blinkers on. I've had opportunities and met different people that I wouldn't otherwise have met. So, for example, you know, I do I do work with leadership teams in national governing bodies um, because uh, just to wind back a bit, in 2015 there was a review done by government, um, for government, by Baroness Tanya Gray-Thompson on duty of care in sport. And I had the huge privilege of working alongside Tanny in that. And although it wasn't formally adopted by government, um, there are, its influence still permeates into the sector and there are some great organisations who have got Chief Care, so I do. I run workshops on mental health awareness and duty of care for national governing bodies. is is an uh, an area that I do work in. I when I would did some work with when I worked for the BAC. Sorry. Then I always worked on the basis that um, yes, I was there to offer advice, support, and gap and guidance to athletes for those that had got genuine grievances and issues. They, what I never believed and what I think was, was understood by others I had to work with was that just because an athlete had a grievance didn't mean to say he was always right. What I did for the BAC or what I did with the BAC was raise that welfare um, and guidance and support for athletes. What I'm doing now, which is a bit of a road to redemption thing for me, is I'm doing some work with UK coaching because the coaches are as vulnerable as the athletes. Um, and, you know, they're also um, influenced by four-year funding cycles and, and performances on the field of play. Uh, so... So those are areas that I'm doing work in where I'm getting where I'm getting paid. Um, what I'm also doing, which I am enjoying immensely, is I am the chair of the mental health committee for Bucks British University College Sport because um, I want to do and I I do other lecture work as well with other HE institutions keen on trying to help and support the next generation so um, I had the opportunity to set this committee up for Vince Main the CEO of Bucks and I've done that left field I I just haven't got people out of the Bucks stovepipe onto a Bucks committee 
I've got other other people representing other organisations like Amoshi, Student Minds, etc., who have got student mental health in the forefront of their of their minds, but they're looking at it differently. And I'm bringing these people together, and hopefully, with a bit of luck, we might rip a few trees up. Yeah, very, very cool. I, I'd love to um, come back. I'm really, I'm really struck, Ian, by you just described. A, you seem to sit in a more intuitive space these days. You use the language of, you know, in the past I would have done a you know five-year business plan. I'm sort of winging it or whatever your language was. But the point was, there seems to be an element of freedom in how you communicate that. Well, I mean, I think that's the beauty of owning your own consultancy. Um, but I think coming with what's happened to me, I, I'm always very keen on, I, I mean, I know that, you know, a big episode of depression like that, you, you can't, you know, if somebody says to you, are you back to your old self? You can't go back to your old self. It's part of the journey. Um, but, and there's a couple of, there's another point I'll make in this, that it's part of the journey. And what can you take out of it that is um, positive without it being cliched? And, and I think that I am more, and this is a relative statement, right? So this isn't check me out. I am more self-aware and therefore I think I can make better intuitive decisions. If it feels right, let's have a look, right? And, you know, so if I have a plan for DocuSport and if I had it uh, previously, then I'd have said, right, well, here I am. Stood at six o'clock, having a mobile stood at 12 o'clock. But actually, if I end up at 11 o'clock or one o'clock, it doesn't make much difference, really. I've progressed and I've learned and I've done something. And uh, it's a privilege for me, I think, because I have the opportunity to, to help other people. So if that's within the spectrum of 11 to one o'clock, that really doesn't matter. The, 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 the other thing, if I may, was to think about it, about positives and intuitive and things. I, I, I worked with Mental Health First Aid England to, to create a um, sector-specific course for sport. They do one for HE, they do one for the military, yada, yada. So I helped them create a course for sport. And they said, Ian, would you uh, would you like to do an instructor's course and you can have it for free? So, uh, yeah, because then I can deliver the mental health first aid course for sport, right? So that sort of works. So, so we're doing this course and we have this clinician in. who's a great bloke, and and he's a specialist in trauma. And he says uh, to the group, "What types of trauma are there?" So I stick my paw up and say, vicarious trauma. I know because I've had it. Good lad. They, and we go around the room. And then he says, there can be positive effects 
from trauma. And I'm thinking, how are you working that out? But anyway, I had a bit of a think about it. And eventually I found this guy on LinkedIn and I wrote to him and I thanked him because he was right. Um, and the positive from the vicarious trauma for me came from that experience of being the CEO of the BAC because to be a member of the BAC, there was only one criteria. Are you bloody good at what you do? In, like, are you world-class? And if you are, and, and you can, you've represented your home nation or GB or Paralympics GB, you can be a member of the BAC. So that was it. So, but these athletes weren't commodities, they were people. And, and I had to look at their world through their lens. Stand in their shoes, Finch once famously said. And if you stand in the shoes of somebody that's not you, so in my case, somebody who is a woman, somebody who is babe, somebody who is gay, or is somebody who has a disability, then the bloody world doesn't half look a different place. And it really, really made me realize what had always been in some ways within me and what my core values were. And so I might do the BAC job again differently if I was ever to be offered it, but boy, would I do it again for what it taught me and what I learned. It's, it's really powerful what you're sharing because that, you know, you, you state in your piece that you wrote at the end of last year about your values and the one that's coming through loud and clear or a couple of them, you know, around your equality, you know, inclusion, fairness. And I think it's particularly powerful for me, um, Ian, because, you know, as a fellow Caucasian male, it's so positive to hear you describing that desire and interest in understanding each other's lived experience. And you spoke about that so beautifully. And I just want to quote that for anybody listening to us just now. On your Perfect Imbalance um, article you wrote on LinkedIn, you said, a lived experience is just that. It's unique to any one individual. We shouldn't be grading them. And I just think that is just so powerful because the, you know, the work system, and I'm sure it's the same in sport as well, we've, we've been brought up on this education system of the only thing is right. You know, you know you, you, it's not about the journey. It's not about the, the way you get there. Like you're either right or you're wrong. And I just think the way you speak so beautifully that everybody's lived experience matters is just so inspiring. Honestly, Ian. Well, that's, that, I, I, I'm very touched and humbled that you say so. Thank you. The, there was, um, there was a, a trend on Twitter last year, which was ha hashtag no wrong patterns. And it was how people had ended up doing what they've ended up doing. And, and so I decided to join in for, you know, I, I was a man who was going to change the world as a student, like we all were when we were students. Uh, for me, it was the environment. Um, I, I, <laughs> I was probably green 10 years ahead of my time. I did a Master of Science in Pollution and Environmental Control that got me nowhere. Then I ended up in financial services because the first lot 
got me nowhere. From financial services to the CEO of the British Athletes Commission, you know, there's no wrong path. It's, it's, um, yeah, and, and I, the thing I find about talking about vulnerability, be it my own or others, is, and I found this doing, you know, when I've done presentations and <laughs> what other people kindly call keynote addresses, et cetera, et cetera, is you stand there, you talk about your vulnerability. And it just gives, all of a sudden, it gives pe people at best, uh, sorry, at worst, permission to themselves to think a bit more deeply about their own stuff and at best to engage in a conversation. And those conversations that I've had the privilege to have are some of the richest and deepest. Uh, and you, you don't necessarily expect that, but it's, you know, and is it courageous? Is it brave? I don't know, but I think it feels intuitively right. Oh, you've got my uh, my tiny little hairs on my head going up um, again because I, I, honestly, I just it's so powerful. You know, I wrote quite recently that similar to what you're saying, but I wrote on um, I think it's a tweet or or an article recently. You know, role modeling vulnerability. It's like a positive contagion, like just you can sense the whole energy in the room just shifts like the masks fall off the job titles fall off it's a really surreal experience isn't it mm. yes and I, I i think it's somebody who i've done some work with and who um who, uh, who i would regard as being what i call a member of my personal board um, i.e. people that mean that I am less vulnerable, less prone to relapse because I surround myself with people who check in, uh, etc. And, and this guy, Neil, has said to me before, uh, and I have to let him give me this compliment. I don't, I don't sit easy with it, but he wants to give it to me. I have to take it. And he says, Ian, you have a gift. And, and that's all very well. And it's very kind of him to say so. But for me, if I have got that gift, then I've got a responsibility. And, and, and I suppose that underlines the work that I do in DocuSport. Very, very cool. No, I love that. And I, I'd like to pick up on your point as well when you said about, is it courage? Is it bravery? I think, again, it for me, I'm not sure about you, Ian, but it's it certainly become one of those things that the sort of, I wouldn't even say practice, it's just an intuitive thing. But like the more you just are vulnerable or have the courage just to not overthink what you're going to say and just like, just be unashamedly you almost <laughs> in a way. It's not always straightforward, but I just find it just gets... It just gets a lot easier. <laughs> they, interestingly, I, I have been doing some... <laughs> this is uh, work that is live theatre. I did some work in a workshop for the West Midlands Combined Authority on Friday. And I'm going back tomorrow, which is why we've moved this thing around. Anyway, some of the feedback that I, I got about um, Friday 
I mean, generally speaking, it was very good, right? Um, but uh, funnily enough, somebody said, uh, Ian, you're too northern. And I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to do with that. But anyway, they um, said the man with the Midlands accent, right? But anyway, never mind. They, they, but interestingly, you know, I talked about mental health and mental health awareness because that's what the brief was. And in terms of the terminology and the and the depth to which I went, which wasn't very deep, but some people found it very emotional, and some people thought it was too much. And that is that, that was a great piece of feedback to me because it won't stop me from continuing to do it, but you have to be aware of the audience and the constituent members of that audience if it's a group that you're talking to but interestingly and to the credit of the leadership of west midlands combined authority they didn't balk at any of that because they know that they need to start to have those better conversations very 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 cool and i think i think it's great and it's, it's a great challenge reflection actually as well i remember because I, like you say, once you're more comfortable with it, doesn't mean that everybody else is. And there is that, there is that awareness piece, and you're, you're spot on. Because I remember one example when I, I spoke about me being bullied as a kid, and you know the impact it had on on how I held on to that for twenty odd years. And I one and I spoke about it at a, at a talk I was doing, and I do remember a few of the people sort of just squirming like horribly in their seats, and the point like, God, I don't want to be here. And it was like. And I, I mean, some of that feedback was actually if we think about vulnerability as like a dial, like you can read the room, you can read the energy, you can sort of dial it up or you can dial it down depending on what that room feels like in the moment. And that was a good lesson for me, actually, very similar to, to what you're describing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, one of the things I do do now, uh, and probably as a result of being mentally health, health, mental health, first aid England trained is I give a health warning at the start of these things. You know, people know what they're coming to, but I still say, look, you know, you may find some of this, depending on your circumstances, too much. And if you do, then please put your hand up and, and you can leave the room and just, but just let me know you're okay. Um, and, and again, it is advantageous being a mental health first aider in that <laughs> I can offer... Uh, to sweep up the uh, remains of whatever has happened when I've spoken about it 50 minutes earlier, you know, the uh, virtuous circle. <laughs> love, love it. So, so as we start to look to wrap up, Ian, what's giving you hope or joy at the moment, you know, whether it's work or whether it's personal, you know, what's, what's inspiring you right now? The, I, think it, I think in general terms, I do think, the narrative about mental health is louder. Um, it worries me that the ability to to deal with that demand is, uh, you know, pressure on the NHS and so on and so forth, which is where we come back to self-care. So there's, there's pluses and minuses in that point. The thing that is really exciting and I'm I'm going to go northern again here, but you know I've gone I've gone I've gone once, so I might as well go twice. The 
I was asked a week or so ago um, if I would sit on the steering committee that would deliver, that will deliver the legacy program programs associated with the Rugby League World Cup, which takes place in the UK in 2021. And when, when, uh, Emma Goldsmith from uh, Rugby League Cares rang me to ask me, she said, what do you think? And I said, I've got goosebumps. And she said, what do you mean? That's a weird response. And I said, well, look, the, this is mental health. It's sport. It happens to be rugby league, which I enjoy as a sport. And it's doing work in northern communities, predominantly. So why haven't I got goosebumps? And that work is beginning, you know, that group will come together this month for the first time and we'll start to work on that. And I think if it is, and I hope it will be, and its aim is to be a sustainable programme of mental health education, awareness and support for, for me and the um, 16 I think it is stadia where rugby league world cup games will take place but have the chance to be involved in that uh, just you know boom but I, I am looking forward to that immensely fantastic love it love it love it look I just want to wrap up um, again a shout out to our mutual friend Jeff Way he's how you and I found each other um, a number of months ago um, and I just love how I believe your sort of strap line is take and give care. And I'd just love for you as we sort of, as we exit our conversation today, you know, give us a little bit of context, how that take and give care came about for you. Because I think it's a really powerful message. The, well, we go back to this duty of care review and the, whenever I speak uh, to the Baroness, I keep asking her about when are we getting the band back together? Because the band, that did the duty of care review was a three-piece combo. It had uh, Baroness Tanigray Thompson on lead vocals, obviously. The chief exec of the British Athletic and the guy who was holding it all together on rhythm and bass was Professor David Lavalle, who has since become the first ever professor of duty of care in sport. He's uh, he, works at Abertay University. And when I was poorly, David used to check in with me every now and again. He is a member of my personal board. And he used to say to me at the end of any communication, give and take care. And it was one of those, David is a lovely man, very gentle man, very bright man. Um, and it was something that pierced the thick skin. So when I decided I was going to set up DocuSport, I said to David, thank you again for give and take care. It meant a lot to me uh, and it meant so much to me. I'm going to nick your phrase, but I'm going to turn it around. And rather than give and take care, I'm going to say take and give care. Because if you, you know, it's the, it's the, uh, the mask in the aeroplane thing, right? If, if you don't take care of yourself, you'll be no use to others. And 
you know, I come back to my own lesson learned the hard way. I have to remind myself, and particularly when I talk about this stuff now, I have to be authentic, right? So I can't do it. I can't talk about it and not do it. So taking gift care means a lot to me. It can apply to teams, it can apply to companies, it can apply to if the sports sector doesn't look after itself better, it won't be able to give care to rest, the rest of society with sport and activity, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my parting shot to you, sir. Taking care. Wonderful. And I think it's a really powerful message for all of us listening today. So thank you so much for joining us, Ian. Really, really interesting. And again, thank you for generally for, for role modeling this conversation. You know, it's, as, you, as you mentioned, through the statistics are that, you know, three, three, three times more men will commit suicide than women. That's certainly the last statistics from Mental Health First Aid that I remember seeing. So, you know, the more of us men that can have the conversation as well as those from other demographics, it can only help the conversation. So how can people find you? What's the, what's the best mediums of which to get in contact? Should people be interested? They, uh, well, should they be interested? They, um, uh, it's Ian at Dociasport, D-O-C-I-A-S-P-O-R-T.co.uk. Um, it's at Dokia underscore sport on Twitter and, and I'm on LinkedIn. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure all of those are added to the show notes for this conversation. Ian, thanks so much for your time today. And good luck with your new endeavour as it comes around. Thanks very much. Cheers, Gary. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hello there, Gary Turner, your host. Just wrapping up a few of the, the key takeaways that I took from this wonderful conversation with Ian. One of the things I love most about Ian is his presence, his kindness, his, his calmness, um, how, he, how he communicates his experience of life. And I just think there's so much hope and opportunity in that for all of us um, to realise that there is so much more that we can do and be um, when we come from a place of kindness to ourselves. So thank you, Ian, so much for this conversation. A, a few of the things that I wanted to share is that where Ian spoke about the fact that he is now more self-aware and therefore feels that he can make better intuitive decisions if it feels right. Just think about that for a second. If it feels right, we've spent the last generations suppressing feeling. You know, keeping emotion out of work, out of home life, out of relationships. Yet, what we've been doing by suppressing that emotion, and I've experienced this myself um, in the past. I spoke many times about my bullying as a kid and keeping that inside my, locked away in my mind for over 20 odd years. Is that the more we sit in that feeling, it allows that intuitiveness from our heart to guide better decision making. I'm 100% sure of that. And this totally resonates uh, where Ian's coming from with, uh, with this comment. I also enjoyed him talking about that. Uh, he asked the question, is it courageous? Is it brave? I don't know. But it feels intuitively right to role model vulnerability. And vulnerability in and of itself, of course, is not a thing, but it is a way of being. And I, I really enjoyed how he, Ian speaks to the fact that, you know, we almost give other people permission, not that they need it from us, but 
by experiencing somebody else that speaks from the heart, that role models it's okay not to know, that is okay with the journey and not just the outcome. Other people step into that space. I've seen it happen so much, and I wrote recently actually about um, vulnerability or the, that sense of vulnerability being like a positive contagion. What, what do you think to that? Would you challenge that? Would you agree with that? You know, what are you thinking of, with these reflections? And finally, what I really, really loved, and it made me smile with Ian, he said, I'm making it up as I go along. When I set up Dockier Sport, I was still poorly. If I had to set it up when I was well, and this is critical, I would have had a five-year plan, up team KBIs, I'd have the blinkers on. Because I didn't have the blinkers on, I've had opportunities and met different people that I otherwise would not have met. So when we talk about diversity and inclusion, when we talk about connection on a human level, it just really comes up for me powerfully that the myopic focus on metrics and outcomes, on assurance, on guarantees, those are the things that stop us leaning into connection with other human beings. Because those days are the inverted commas blinkers that Ian is speaking about. If we're not seeing each other as humans, messy human beings, all on a journey of life, collectively but individually at the same time, we're, not, we're going to miss those opportunities to meet other people who don't look like us, sound like us, come from different backgrounds. So I learned so much and had so much clarified by this conversation with Ian, and I hope that it serves you. Um, you can find me at Gary IP Catalyst on uh, Twitter. You can find me Gary Interpersonal Catalyst on LinkedIn. And you can also find all of Ian's contact details in the show notes. And if you would like a connection to Ian, he's very open to receive that. Let me know. I'll connect you on LinkedIn. I'll connect you uh, via email. Or, of course, you can connect with him directly via those details. But this is a powerful conversation. We, there's a lot of conversation about mental health and rightly um, that it's as important as physical health. But I think it's really important that we take the time to realise where that mental health is coming from, which is from the inside of us out and not from the outside in. And I'd love to have a conversation with anybody that feels that could serve them. Till next time when we have episode 102, this has been Value Through Vulnerability, boosted by Humans First. And you can join any of the open and inclusive Humans First calls that take place regularly. There's a UK EMEA call every Monday at midday. And then there's also a Friday call um, US time. And there's indeed a call every week right now on a Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, hosted by a variety of Humans First peers. So until next time, if you'd like any more detail about Humans First as well, do let me know. Take care.